Hello and welcome to Living a Culture of Life podcast. I'm your host, Colleen Haupt, and I'm joined today by Father Bouquet, our president. Well, Colleen, as always, a great joy. It's good to be with you, Father. And today we're going to be talking about how contraception leads to abortion. Um, so let's just jump right into that. How does contraception create a pro-abortion like mentality? Sure. Well, that's the real operative word, Colleen, that you mentioned is, is mentality. You know, Father Marx, you know, HLI's founder, from the very beginning of, uh, of our organization's apostolic work, this is something he highlighted so strongly, um, and that is so often missed today in our pro-life movement, is the connection between the mindset, which is a single mindset, really, of abortion and contraception. So when we're talking about a mentality, we're talking about a way a person approaches a particular subject, a framework, uh, the way that someone thinks about it, the way that someone uh, acts upon it, and moves forward in time. So when a person has a contraceptive mentality, it means that they are opposed to conception, just as basic as that, and that they are not wanting to welcome a child from a, from a, a sexual encounter, which should be only within marriage, a conjugal act between a husband and wife. That's a different you know, subject for another day for us to talk about, but I mean, this is where this gift of welcoming life is meant to be, between a husband and a wife, always in every way open to welcoming a child, you know, and so... Anything that's preventative in that manner, so it could be in any kind of act or either by a mechanical means, it can be done by a hormonal means, like taking what people call the pill, uh, and it can be through interruption. In other words, any method that prevents the, the completion of the conjugal act is a contraceptive act. And so, but it starts with a mindset. And it's so important to, to keep that in mind is that uh, as we talk about this, that it's how a person approaches this true good, you know, that God has created between husband and wife, you know, for the welcoming of children. And so when we have a mindset that is opposed to, to that child, for whatever reason, I mean, there could be legitimate circumstances in a person's journey. What I mean by legitimate here is not legitimizing contraception, but that there may be a need to postpone a pregnancy. There could be something that is happening within the marriage uh, that needs, it could be medical, it could be a situation, but obviously choosing an act or choosing a, to act upon one's thought, this mindset that is opposed to the gift of human life is never permissible. So that's why we consider contraception a intrinsic evil in itself. It is always bad, can never be chosen. So what the mentality does, Colleen, is it obviously when a contraceptive act does not fulfill its end, in other words, a conception occurs, the child was not wanted to begin with in that mentality. And in most regard, a person then follows through by choosing abortion, a means to accomplish the end that they had chosen, which is not to have a child. So it's a single mentality. And so as we've seen, you know, as the uh, as contraception and its mentality became more widely accepted, more widely practiced, what do we see? We see an increase in abortion. Why? Because as we know from all the data, from all the research, that in many cases, contraception fails. And so the very intention of preventing a pregnancy doesn't result that way. And so when there is a conception that occurs, then the said couple then decides that we're going to pursue an abortion. 
And so we see the data. The data is very clear. And I know that we talk about this on our website and many of our articles. And so I know that you're probably going to put some links out there for them. Yes. Uh, that way they can go and look themselves. They can read themselves for themselves the data that's out there. And we also have an ebook that we have on this subject that I'll link in the description as right. well, because that has a lot of history and a lot of the dates of right. um, how it was legalized in different countries. And what we see, for example, you know, and I know we're going to talk a little bit more about this, but I'll just kind of lead into it. So when, when, when uh, in our work around the world, especially in the developing nations, you know, where contraception is now becoming more accessible, we also see the accessibility to abortion. We see the call for a legalization of abortion. Why? Again, because as the mindset of contraception and against life, an anti-life mentality begins to find root, then it naturally will then call for the, the fullness of that act, and that is the termination, quote, of a, of a pregnancy, i.e. abortion. And how would you respond to people that say that contraception would redu- reduce abortion because it gets rid of, like, unwanted pregnancies, like, yeah, a, with right. quotes? A lot of people use that argument to justify contraception, but how would you reply to that given right. the light of... This. Well, just think about this. We're talking then about, about eugenics now. We're talking about, you know, selectively choosing, you know, who lives and who dies and, and very arbitrary, you know, decision-making process. And as we know, again, from just data, just simply following the data, we see what happens in today's current culture and climate that is very much, you know, uh, into, uh, for genetic research. But, you know, and but what that really means is selectively choosing, you know, uh, a child that, you know, that let's say a child is diagnosed, let's say, uh, with a particular abnormality, then, and, and we also know, just to kind of pause for a second there, that sometimes it's inaccurate. Sometimes what has been determined doesn't actually come to bear. So, but in reality, if a, if a couple goes in and the doctor says your child has A, then you know, basically what we're doing now is we're saying, I don't want that child. And we use euphemisms to kind of cover up what we're doing. You know, we don't want the child to suffer. We wouldn't want this, you know, to be a difficult uh, pregnancy. We wouldn't want the, you know, the child to be born and have all these difficulties in life. So we, we kind of mask it, you know, using compassion and so forth. But in reality, we're discriminating against a child, but on the genetic side, what we're talking about now is being able to determine, you know, does this child have a predisposition toward, uh, you know, uh, you know, some type of uh, genetic abnormality? It could be Down syndrome, for example. It could be, you know, in some situations I've seen where uh, I just read a case just recently in a book I've been reading on this um, about dwarfism. Now I know there's a, mm. a more scientific terminology term there which I can never pronounce, but basically. It involved a couple, a husband and wife, themselves, you know, uh, 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 in the sense of, uh, of uh, the terms here of little people in the sense of dwarfism. And, um, and what they found was the child that she was now pregnant with did not carry that gene. So it would have been a child that would have grown into, and I use the word here, normal, but into a, a normal height and so forth. And no, and none of those difficulties that we see with dwarfism. And... They wanted to abort the child, mm. so these are these are realities. And so, um, so what we see, just kind of returning back to a mindset. So when we we look at life, pretty much as a utilitarian approach, as a almost kind of like a commodity, you know, as we would do from a piece of paper that is flawed. Well, I'm not going to write a letter on that piece of paper. I'll I'll use it for something else, or I'll discard it. But a human being is not a commodity, not a thing. And, and, and has immeasurable value in themselves. And they can never be so arbitrarily treated in this regard. 
and we know that life begins. Sorry, I gotta toss it back and is that uh, that begins at fertilization, at the mm-hmm. moment that you know that uh, uh, egg and sperm meet. This this moment occurs, and this is life, and very and a very beautiful life, an individual life with its own genetic code, and it's you know male and female. It's already determined, and you know all this beauty is before us. And so the, you know this is something that we have to really work against this mentality. So I think that's a real challenge. Well, I get what you're saying about how like after the child has already been conceived, but I think what I was referring more to was the like people say pro-lifers should support contraception because uh-huh. those children are never conceived in the first place, so they're not being killed later. Yeah. So how do you respond to that argument that these you should use contraception so children are never conceived in the first place sure. so they're not killed later? Sure. Sorry. I mean, the, I, I mean, John I didn't Paul. Clarify yeah, that. No, no, no. John, John Paul, you know, second really talked about this, and every every you know potential child is a gift. So in other words, the potentiality from this this conjugal act, because we also know that not every conjugal act uh, that is open to life, you know, actually mm-hmm. conceives a child. So, but always must be open. All must always must be welcoming to this child, this potential, this wonderful opportunity that's before husband and wife. And so, every child brings with with it this great potential, these great gifts, these great wonders, and even challenges, you know, challenges to us, you know, for a couple, you know, that may, you know, uh, be dealing with a a child with Down syndrome. You know, at first it's, um, imagine I can, uh, and I've talked to many couples, I mean, it it faces difficulties, it's lots of fears, it's probably anxiousness about what will be, what will be expected of them in a lifetime. But then this beautiful child comes into, into their lives and changes everything in a good way. And even with the challenges, you know, and the beauty and the wonder and the awe that this child offers and the creativity and all the wonder. And I think what happens is the anti-life mentality feeds on that anxiousness and fear of the unknowns. Well, there's always unknowns, Colleen, in life itself. Even, you know, for you and for me every day, there always are unknowns. And of course, in welcoming a child, there's always the unknown. You know, will this child be, you know, do well in school? Will this child have, um, you know, difficulties in life? Will this child, you know, live a long life? Will this child live a short life? There's always these unknowns. And and I think we're back to that mentality that, you know, we want to be in control of everything. We want to have the ability to to put our finger on it and control it and manipulate it. And, uh, but this is, not, this is not life. And so life is filled with a lot of uncertainties and a lot of unknowns. But that's what makes life such worth living and such an excitement. And, and nothing is boring. And so the same thing with the welcoming of a child. It's all the beauty of the potential that this child is going to bring and the amount of love that this child is not only going to expect, but the, the love this child is going to give. And, and, and I think we, we really uh, have allowed that mentality, that anti-life mentality. And you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, there are, there's a lot of out there that, that speaks about, you know, one of our staff members, I'm going to use an example, um, their uh, son, you know, and his wife uh, were welcoming. I forget if this was their first or their second child, but the child was not going to survive, you know, not long after birth. And so, of course, what do we hear? We hear, you know, the doctors saying, well, you know, we, we, we ought to uh, terminate, you know, abort. We need to kill this child and, quote, we can do it, we can try again. Well, the reality is, is that, no, this child is going to be loved and welcomed and this child was born, you know, into this world and outside the womb was loved, held, nurtured, kissed, you know, all these wonderful things. And, and, and I think that really is something we just got to keep you know, reminding people of that life is a gift and life has many, many unknowns. 
And, uh, and I think that what happens is we're trying to create a perfect utopia. You know, and we've been down this path uh, before in history where people wanted to create a superior race and a superior mindset. And people need to remember that this becomes very arbitrary. You know, who determines what is, quote, normal? Who determines what is, you know, a perfect, you know, genetic race? What, you know, this is a danger. And that's why the mindset is such a very bad mindset. And it, sadly, when the mindset becomes applied, it's applied to people and it becomes discriminatory. This is what we're really talking about. And then historically, how has this played out where contraception leads to abortion? And like, how does it affect developing countries? Because I know it's a big deal there. And you mentioned that briefly, but kind of going into that right. a little so more. So in, in the developing world where, you know, children are seen, and again, it depends on, on which culture, but across mm-hmm. the cultural lines, children are always seen as a great blessing and, and welcomed. And But in the developing world, you know, there are many challenges. We just talked about just some of these. But in the developing world, the challenge of, of raising a child feeding the child, clothing, educating, you know, becomes a real difficulty for many people in the developing world because they don't have the resources, you know, that we may have here in, in Western culture. And what I mean by that is just the conveniences that you, myself, Colleen, are very, very much just accustomed to. And so, but there are challenges in the developing world. But this is, again, where we need to step back and as part of our solidarity with our brothers and sisters around the world, it's a deeper question. How do we help our brothers and sisters in the developing world have access to the very things that you and myself readily have access? And I'm just going to use a couple of things. Just clean water, you know, uh, health care, you know, clean, in, I mean, good infrastructure, you know, farming equipment, electrification, just basic things that you and I take for granted every day, which makes life more simple. And, and yet what I see in the developing world is such a welcoming of life, even with those challenges. And I see it all the time in my mission travels, whereas here in the West, we have a very selfish mentality, and yet we live so comfortably, mm-hmm. so conveniently, and yet we, we're against life. I mean, here in the U.S., you know, we well are below replacement level and have been now for a number of years. So we're not welcoming children. And yet I go into the developing world where these difficulties are there and you, you encounter such beautiful, large families and these children are loved. And yes, there are challenges. And yes, sometimes it is difficult to see. But this is what happens when the Western world imposes its values. It imposes its mindset on the developing world. And so contraception, you know, becomes part in many ways of how aid is given. And we talked about this before. This is something we talked about when we discussed Pope Benedict XVI, you know, and I think people need to go back and read, you know, his third encyclical. And I'm not going to name it, so maybe people will go back, what's the third one? And look for it. But how he talks about, you know, negatively, how governments and non-governmental organizations are imposing Western values and ideologies upon the developing world. And so contraception is just that. You know, mm-hmm. we've, we've had contraception for, 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 for centuries and millennia in a sense of, uh, but it's always been challenged, always non-accepted, uh, in, in especially in Christian culture. And mm-hmm. so to see this in the developing world being imposed, being, uh, you know, literally manipulating people to, to, to open themselves to contraception as if it were an answer to poverty, it's not an answer to poverty. 
you know. And so why? Because we haven't changed structures that cause poverty. We really haven't changed the infrastructure that's literally causing these challenges and difficulties. And the number of children are not the cause for this. You know, there are challenges, yes, with larger families. Absolutely, we've talked about that. And, you know, but, but the reality is, what about the, the, the uh, developing world really giving legitimate aid to the developing world so that they have the structures they need in order to, to have those, those things that are basic to humanity, and then which makes family life much more comfortable and, and reasonable and allow their families to grow and allow their, their countries to prosper. So, so this this mentality, and I, again, I'm trying to connect it to because it's connected to everything. Mm-hmm. Is it leads then to an abortifacient mentality? So, remember, I said they're the same, but in the developing world, outside of major uh, cities, you know, you get into the rural community. This would this mindset would be very appalling, you know, to to the majority of the people. They could not imagine killing their child. They could not imagine, you know, uh, taking the life of their child. And, uh, and so, so what happens is, but you see large groups come in, like International Planned Parenthood. You see Marie Stopes uh, uh, Federation come in, and, and you see all these various groups working on the ground, you know, and they're, and they're pushing. They're pushing contraception. But we're going to talk a little bit about that, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, obviously we know that oral contraception, hormonal contraception, also acts as an abortifacient. Mm-hmm. So we know that abortions are occurring even though it may not be a surgical abortion, but they are occurring, we call silent abortions. And so it's, it's important for people, uh, one, to understand the mentality, to understand why the Western world is so set on imposing their own values upon the developing world, i.e. reproductive health, which means contraception, abortion, sterilization. Uh, when you hear that, that phrase, reproductive health, that's what it means. And, and then it brings a false value. It's not a value at all. I mean, it's wrong. It's, it's reprehensible, uh, you know, and it's, it's repulsive, you know, to people uh, in many parts of the world who could not imagine this, but it's there. And that's the challenge that we have as, uh, and as missionaries of life, you know, and, and going around the world to, to help people to see these things and to recognize them and, and then provide a means forward that respects life uh, is a challenge because uh, uh, many of these entities that are working on the ground in the developing world have much more resource, much more uh, financial resource, personnel uh, that is available to them, and they're able to get into many places um, and push their wares upon an unsuspecting, vulnerable people. Yeah. So I'm not sure if I answered uh, your question, but I maybe give you more. But as you can tell, it's very passionate to both of us. It's passionate to us here at HLI because um, Father Marx made it very clear that we're never going to to really prevent the abortion industry from being able to take deeper root until we challenge the first issue, which is contraception. So basically, like when people get into their heads that they can stop pregnancy and that they— just like, okay, well, this isn't, quote, the right time for it, so I'm just not right. going to because I'm going to use contraceptive, then they're more likely to choose abortion down the right. road. So it kind of creates this idea that they can control their own fertility exactly. in that way. And also with that, Colleen, would be is it changes the marital act, yes. which is something that we don't have time today to get into. But really, so this is why it's 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 more than just a single you know issue. It's, it's multiple issues at work here because we're literally changing 
the the conjugal act. We're 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 making it into an act that it's not meant to be, and we're actually you're redefining it, basically from right for uh, procre- procreation. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, which is one of the ends of the uh, of marriage, and and so we're changing the act. We're falsifying the act, and so this is what contraception does. Because it's contra, it's against, it doesn't want life. And again, as you said very early when, you know, I kind of sidestepped and didn't answer your question (laughs) directly, but you came back, which is good, is that the mentality is that, you know, we want to treat it as we want to to, to create this environment. So we use Mm -hmm. different ways of language to justify our position. So uh, an example, again, you know, that, you know, we're not wanting to welcome life at this time. There can be a reason to have abstinence and to postpone a pregnancy uh, at this time and that thus employ abstinence in the marital relationship out of respect for whatever that situation is. But to employ an act that is contraceptive and contraceptive in mindset and contraceptive in act changes the act. It redefines the act and it falsifies the act and thus it is an evil act. And so it's never acceptable. And so this is the real challenge, and that's why within marriage, to do anything that is contrary to that good mm-hmm. in the conjugal act is opposed to that good. And so that's why we've got to tie it in. Yeah. And so but in our world today, that, as Father Marx would say, uh, would it say today, as he said back then, we're in a sex-saturated culture. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't see what we're talking about. Matter of fact, it would consider what you and myself are discussing really, uh, you know, uh, just completely in the past. I mean, this is not something we talk about today. I mean, this is completely, you know, against the, the culture and the narrative of our day. Mm-hmm. But again, this is truth. This is, there's a truth about marriage. There's a truth about the good of marriage. There's a truth about the good of conjugal love. And there is the good of life itself. And anything that falsifies really is that. It falsifies. And so no matter how people attempt to justify. Uh, and, and so I think that's what's so important when we're in the developing world. Because mm-hmm. marriage is a very true good, you know, to, to, uh, to every culture, obviously. But in, in the developing world, you know, marriage is important. The relationship between a husband and wife, fidelity, the, the commitment to each other is so important. And uh, what we see is once, con- like we see in our studies here in our own country and many Western co- cultures, what do we see as a consequence? Paul VI and Humanae Vitae talked about this. And I, I, again, time doesn't permit us, but People can go back and read. What were those prophecies of Paul VI that he mentions in Humanae Vitae? Each one has come to pass. What do we see, you know, with uh, no-fault divorce? What do we see as a result of this contraception? You know, and, and then not, that, we're not even talking about the medical consequences. But that's for a different moment. But maybe they can go back and read a little more from our, uh, you know, from our, uh, the uh, animated series and, you know, looking at yeah. this and learn a little bit more about this. But I think it's good what we're doing, Colleen, is by keeping the dots connected as we're talking about a very uh, a subject of, of great importance that does affect, you know, the population of our world, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, because, you know, the majority of our world are married people and, you know, and adults who are wanting and choosing to enter into relationships and uh, sexual relationships and as sexual beings. And so this is a very important conversation and we need to keep having it. Well, I think a lot of people too think that the contraceptive issue is different than the abortion issue and they're not, they're interrelated. So I think, is it John Paul II who says they're both fruits of the same tree? That's correct. Or some, That's I, correct. Yeah. 
because they flow yeah. from the same mentality. They flow from that same mindset. You know that uh, that's one contra. I mean, just keeping that in mind. I'm opposed to life. And, and as I said, there there are many reasons why a couple may want to postpone, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's they're legitimate. It doesn't mean that I can choose an an, a, an evil means to accomplish the end that I'm I'm, I'm seeking. And mm-hmm. so it's never permissible to do that. And so I think it's important uh, for for us to keep this conversation and keep the linkage. And if I may, even as a pro-life leader and as people, my, you and myself, engaged in pro-life activity and missionary work around the world, that, you know, we are going to fight tirelessly to end the, the violence of abortion. And we're going to do that on every avenue and, and venue we can politically on the legislative side, on the political side, and we're going to do it in the educational side on every other platform we can. But Father Marks made it very clear is that we're never going to, to eradicate that violence mm-hmm. until we eradicate the first violence. And that's the violence against marriage. It's the violence against the conjugal act. It's a violence against the the good of the conjugal act. And I think that's very important. And so many in our pro-life movement don't even talk about contraception. It's just accepted. You know, they would never approve of the abortifacient side. So here, what yeah. I mean by that, they would be talking about the use of a, of a barrier method, a, contra- a, a condom or some other method that doesn't have an abortifacient characteristic to it. That's, so that's what I, so let me make sure I get that very clear because I don't want to uh, speak uh, ill of our brothers and sisters in the movement. I mean, I know full well they're not for abortifacients at all, but I think many people don't realize the abortifacient connection. I think there's a lot of uh, poor education. Why? Because the narrative in our culture, controlled by the media, controlled by, uh, sadly, even within medicine, you know, that falsifies its own definition when life begins. And, And so as a result, people buy into the narrative, into the cultural narrative. So we have to challenge it. And, and say no, that you know uh, the, the, uh, the the oral contraception, what people would call the pill, mm-hmm. you know, has an abortifacient character. All right, and, and if we have time, maybe we can talk a little bit about that. But I know that our series will get into this in great detail, yeah. and many of our articles. But I, I'm not only our listeners. I hope our listeners can help other friends that they have understand when they say, "Oh, yeah, we we're just postponing children," and we we should, even though we say we shouldn't stick our nose where it doesn't belong, but we should in a respectful manner, especially among our fan friends that we can talk to, and say, "You know, do you realize that?" There is an abortifacient character to this. Not again that contraception is ever permissible mm-hmm. because it doesn't have abortifacient characteristic. No, it's never permissible. But many people don't see the connection, Colleen, yeah. and so and uh, they'd be shocked to find about the abortifacient connection. Exactly, which is what a lot of people don't realize. Right, so, yeah. right. And I think what's good, and so what, I'm, I'm going to give you an example. I brought something with us okay. to me today. So yeah. a little show and tell for a moment, okay? Yeah. And now, when you go to the National Library of Medicine, you can look up. You know, any information on any of the uh, oral contraceptives that are out there. Mm-hmm. So, and there are hundreds of them. All right. I just picked out one for the day. So this one's, you know, uh, mesoprostol. So people would be familiar with this and, and uh, these tablets. And so on the very first page, now this is printed off, off the internet. So if it were placed inside of a box or the, the insert, it would be seen differently. But this is the first page on the, on the, on the printed version. And immediately it says, mesoprostol tablets should not be taken by pregnant women, but then it goes on to say it, has, it, it prevents implantation. So here what we're dealing with is those three effects of, mm-hmm. of taking the pill, 
you know, hormonal contraception. And so what is it? One, it's to pre- one act, act effect is to try to prevent ovulation, mm-hmm. all right? So to prevent the possibility of sperm and egg meeting. Second can be to create where the mucus builds up, you know, around the cervix, thus preventing the possibility of sperm, again, encountering an ovum. It also uh, cha- uh, changes sometimes the mobility of sperm, again. And those would both be contraceptive because they're keeping conception from happening. Correct. Right. But the third one's the abortifacient. Right, because it effect. changes the endometrian line, lining of the uh, of the uterus. So what happens there is that it prevents, so now a newly conceived human being, right, a fertilized egg mm-hmm. that now is a human being in its very earliest stages of development, a blastocyst. And so what happens now is to prevent that, that, that newly, you know, uh, new life from implanting in the womb of its mother, which should be a welcoming environment, you know, very fertile and very, very welcoming, now creates a hostile environment. Mm-hmm. And so and so, this is what we need to recognize in this. And so th- th- this is why it's important for people to be f- educated. So what we do in the field is we bring a lot of this information to bear because one, we can look at all the various consequences, medical consequences, all the various chemical consequences, and that's important. And we have doctors in our medical uh, who work with us in the mission field, and they can bring all that to bear, the nurses, the doctors, and so forth. Mm-hmm. But what's important is that, you know, is to help people to understand, you know, one, choosing an act of contraception is never permissible. Mm-hmm. Two, that if you choose to, uh, to take an oral contraceptive, this is part of the effect of that oral contraceptive. And so by doing so, you're opening yourself up, you know, to even uh, to to expand the evil act of contraception mm-hmm. into an abortifacient act. Yeah. And so, so it's leading directly to abortion in that sense. Exactly. Yeah. And so what we see is the numbers grow up. So the numbers move. And so that's why an increase in contra- access to contraception increases the number of abortions. And so uh, just got to follow the data. And yeah. it's very clear. You know, so it, I think it's our challenge today. But I, if I may, you know, Colleen, I think we just need to to pull back, just constantly pull back. And that's what I love about our missionary work here, is we we want to try to get back to the, the root issue, the fundamental issue. And we talk, we've talked about it many times, just making reference to it, and that is the good of marriage, and the good of conjugal love, and to talk about that, and to really to to really support the good. And to see children, no matter what the child may bring into life, the challenges and the and the beauty, that you know, to, that life is a gift. Life is precious. Life is to be welcomed, and and life is to be celebrated, and and that uh, that every act between husband and wife is to have that that mindset, and to be open to whatever that life will bring, and to and to know that it will teach us how to love and how to care and how to sacrifice and how to give of ourselves in so many ways. So I I think that's why our work tries wants to get underneath it. We -hmm. expose the issues, but that's that's one part of the equation. We have to come back and, and promote the good, promote what is good and help people to see the good and to realize that there is and I mean if we look at all the harm that's been done today in our culture because of its of its addiction literally it's just got an addictive mindset and a very self selfish mindset and this is the consequence that we see and uh, it leads to the eugenic mentality we talked a little bit about it mm-hmm. and we see that today uh, growing very sadly 
and uh, we're going to see a continual uh, breakdown of families. You know, divorce is going to continue to to grow, not not become less. A matter of fact, today we don't. Maybe those numbers are changing because most people don't get married. So and so, there's so much for us to be doing, so much work for us to be working upon, and uh, and and I. That's why there's uh, as long as this continues, there will always be this opportunity for you and for me and others to keep talking and to keep advancing the mission. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, Father, and to our listeners, I will link um, the ebook and maybe some other resources in the bio. And in the meantime, please like, follow, subscribe, share with your friends, um, whether you're listening on YouTube, Rumble, or any of our audio platforms, and keep on living the culture of life. God bless.